God is so good. Love, Kyle. Uh, Kyle came to us uh, from Perryville, come over to the youth department, and now he's got a thriving ministry uh, in Orlando. Uh, he's on his, his, his fourth, fourth book, comes out April. Uh, I'm anxious to read this next one. It's, it's going to be on, what's the title of it again? Permission to be imperfect. Sounds like grace to me. I love grace. I love grace, but I know so little of what it really is. And I think we all do. We, we all, well, I understand grace. Don't ever say that. That it's never ending in the growth of grace. But Kyle's going to come up and give us a word, and then I'll close out. Father, we thank you for Kyle. We thank you for what you've done in his heart and his life. We thank you that you are, as we sung these last three songs, you are number one in his life. And we thank you for what you're doing and, and what's taking place in the people and the lives that he's touching in his ministry. We trust in you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Come up here, young man. And I can call you. <laughs> Good to see you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Give Jesus some praise this morning. Come on. Oh. Books flying everywhere. Man, I tell you. you know, I was just sitting down there during worship. And I was thinking about, isn't it so good that we can just be in here and know that God is here? We don't have to drum anything up. We don't have to beg him. We don't have to plead. But because of Jesus, God is here. And even better yet, if you're a believer, God is in you. He's before you, beside you, inside you, behind you. He's everywhere. He loves you, and there's nothing that you can do to change that. You can't change God's mind. And just, just a phrase came to me when I was sitting down there that maybe it's for some, somebody here, but I just think it's a word of rest, really. God just says, you are safe at home at last. Safe in the arms of love. You can breathe easy. God is good and you are good with God. It's always good to be home. You know, as Pastor said, I grew up here in Perryville. And how about this weather you've got going on right now? I mean, what a time for me to come back and visit. I was thinking, you keep this up all year round and you could convince me to move back home. Might need to add some palm trees and maybe a beach and maybe Disney World. So probably not going to happen, but, you know, I like to visit. And I always like to give you guys a little bit of an update since the last time I visited, which was, I think, last... July or August or something. So as Pastor said, I've been slaving away on my next book. It is my fourth book, and it's my fourth one in just about 10 years. Yeah, the first one came out when I was at the ripe old age of 29, still wet behind the ears, as my grandma used to say. So, so much has changed in my life, and I've grown in grace. We're always going to continue to grow, but this next book really reflects my growth in grace. I think you'll find whenever you see it, but do we have a, a picture of it? I know I sent one up there. There it is, Permission to be Imperfect. The subtitle is How to Strive Less, Stress Less, Sin Less. It's kind of counter to what a lot of people think because they think the more striving, the more stressing, the more you do, that's going to make you more pleasing to God, and this message really shows you how it's not about that. But when you finally rest in your dependency on Jesus, that's when 
the sinless and all of this stuff that we're often striving to do just ends up working itself out over time. So it's, it was a really fun book to write. And one of my friends, some of you might know him from some of his books and his radio program is Dr. Andrew Farley. And he wrote the foreword on this one. And I just got to read you something that he said here because I, I just really like that it came across when he was reading it. He said, Kyle's not simply adding to the conversation. He's rattling cages, <laughs> challenging the status quo, and crying out for genuine change. So I love that line, rattling cages, there. <laughs> and I just have found that the older I get, the less concerned I am about rattling cages. So pray for me, because I'm only going to be 39 next month. So I've got a lot of rattling cages time, hopefully, to do. <laughs> Might do that a little bit this morning. Is that okay with you? might rattle some religiousness, <laughs> all right? So let's pray and we'll get this started. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here with friends and family once again. God, I pray that it wouldn't be my words that come forth, but that your words would flow through and that you would do something uniquely in the lives of those who are here and those who are watching live or through the replay, Father. We trust in you, God. We depend on you to use your word to transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said, I've been doing this for 10 years or so, so in that amount of time, you've got a lot that kind of gets out into the interwebs and stuff, and so from the books and the articles and the messages that I've taught, I get a lot of messages, a lot of emails, a lot of DMs on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and, you know, all the places. Occasionally, I'll still get a letter in the mail, believe it or not, and if it's not some sort of nasty gram from like a atheist or something, which I kind of, that doesn't bother me, because I kind of expect hostility from an unbeliever. But if it's not something from one of them, then sometimes it's a nasty gram from a Christian, a legalist or somebody that can't take a joke. Those probably frustrate me the most. Especially, it's always amazing to me how somebody will order one of my resources like my newest book, Shut Up Devil, or something like that. And they're obviously ordering because they need help with something. There's a problem in their life that they need help with. And if the slightest thing goes wrong, and these days, especially with the mail system, things can, can happen. A book can get lost or can get damaged in the mail. And so some people will write to you, and I often see these things come in, these emails come in, and they get very bold behind a screen. And sometimes I am thinking, honey boo boo, you probably don't need a book about shutting the devil up, you need a book about shutting you up. Because <laughs> I guarantee you if you are talking to other people the way that you're writing into a ministry, then the problem isn't so much with the devil, the problem's with your mouth. <laughs> Come on, a lot of our spiritual warfare happens right here. I probably shouldn't say that to them though, should I? Probably should keep that between us. So my point is, I get a lot of messages. And if it's not some nasty gram from one of those groups, it usually boils down to basically one thing. One thing that probably most of you, not all of you, maybe question even now or you question often. It's this deep-seated thing in us often. It's the question, am I okay? Am I okay? A lot of times that question in us is provoked from something in our lives, something. 
some usually bad thought or bad dream or bad feeling or bad habit. A lot of people are afraid that they've sinned in a way that can't be forgiven and some people are afraid that they are a sin that can't be forgiven. And so we're gonna address how to address some of those bad thoughts and bad feelings and bad habits and all of that stuff that we deal with in life a little bit towards the end of the message. But for now, this, this question of am I okay there's something wrong with me. I'm a horrible person. That is the quintessential definition of shame. I talk a lot about shame in this ministry, a lot of, about shame in what I write. It's the belief that who you are is wrong. Not just that you did something wrong. That's behavior-based. That's guilt. Shame is that who I am is this horrible person, this monster in some cases, that I am someone who is wrong. And it's toxic, and that really is a tale as old as time. I mean, going all the way back to the very beginning, back to the garden, back to Adam and Eve, after they fell to their first sin, the Bible says that they felt ashamed. And that didn't cause them to do better. It didn't make them stronger. What did it cause them to do? It caused them to hide. It caused them to hide from God. And that's what it has always done still today. It leads people into the darkness. God came to take them out of it. He came to pursue them out of shame, not to say wallow in it a little more so that you might be better. He came to bring them out of shame because he knows the toxic effects of it. It takes people into the darkness and nothing good happens in the dark. You can go and Google shame and addictions, for example. And there is study after study after study about how it feeds. One feeds the other. When you believe that you are a horrible person, then you tend to try to compensate for that feeling or that fear with some sort of coping or escape mechanism, a bad relationship or a bad substance or a bad something, which then only makes you feel worse about yourself and around and around it goes until it creates this thing called a stronghold that can be very difficult to break. I mean, scripture has said this stuff all along. Proverbs 4.23 says that guard your thoughts, you should guard your thoughts because it's gonna direct the course of your life. What happens up here affects the rest of you. Paul said a mindset on things of the flesh does things of the flesh. A friend of mine was the president of a fairly large organization for a while that really ministered to struggling people, I guess you could say, and a lot of those people, he said, of course, as you can imagine, because of what they dealt with and what they felt and the things they did, harbored shame, felt like this all made them a horrible person. But then there were some in the group that were able to separate their who from their do, somehow. And so they studied that, and he said in almost every case, the people that harbored shame were always the ones that consistently dealt with toxic attitudes and toxic actions and toxic addictions. So as I said, a tale as old as time, all the way back to the beginning. It, it doesn't do any good, it makes you worse. Bad beliefs lead to bad things. And so that's why a lot of this ministry that God has given me, a lot of my message is really dedicated to helping people overcome this stuff. Because as I've learned in my own life, when you finally get at the root, 
the root of those bad beliefs of yourself, when you finally get at those lies and you can replace those lies with truths, and that can take some time because a lot of us are raised throughout our lives believing a lot of lies and that affects us, that programs our mind which takes time to overcome. But when you can finally get your mind renewed to truth, then I'm telling you a lot of the stuff and the junk of the flesh that we hate, that we do, just works itself out over time with little effort. And sometimes it works itself out because if you can finally realize that those things that you've done or maybe those things that you still struggle with don't make you a horrible person, then you're not so afraid to bring those things out to the light to be exposed to the love of God and to the love of God through other people. And that's where real healing happens. I've seen a whole lot more healing with people finally getting real about themselves and being able to expose some things to God's love and to other people than I've ever seen them shaking and laying on the ground and a thousand hands laid on them and a few bottles of anointing oil on them. God's love does the work. It heals you far better than anything we can do in the flesh. But I've also seen that a lot of times the things that we think are issues aren't really issues. There was a lady who I heard from a couple years ago now and she battled a whole lot of wrong feelings about herself because she was raised she was raised in a church that told her that it is a sin for women to wear anything but pink or white fingernail polish i mean just goofy stuff these people are believing and so can you imagine the the feelings that she had over the temptation to wear blue <laughs> believing it's of the devil so like I said earlier, it, it takes a little time to overcome something that you've been ingrained in since childhood. But finally, she got set free. I mean, imagine the freedom when she finally realized that her relationship with God, her status as a Christian had nothing to do with the color of fingernail polish that she wore or the length of her hair or whether or not she came dressed like she was coming off of a covered wagon. but had everything to do with her belief and dependency on Jesus. You know, Jesus came to rid us of shame. He came to make us right. That's what the Bible says. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Being right is the opposite of wrong, Revelation. It's what the cross produced. Apostle Paul said it's what our belief in what Jesus did on that cross produced. In Romans 3.22, he said we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to talk a little bit more about those verses and some more like them in a few minutes. But for now, let me just say this right up clear right at the beginning of this message, loud and clear right at the beginning of this message. This is my reply all to all the messages that I get on this subject. My fellow Christian, there is nothing wrong with you. Despite your memories, despite your symptoms, despite your struggles, despite your thoughts, despite your fears, despite your failures, despite your feelings, despite anything in the flesh, I'm telling you there's nothing wrong with you. It ought to make you a little bit happier, but we're going to get there. All right? But how can I say that? Because I know that might rattle some cages. Because 
a lot of us have been taught all of our lives that in order to feel right, you have to feel wrong. So how can I say that there's nothing wrong with you despite the reality of maybe some very present things in your life that are wrong or maybe even go against a scripture or two? Well, first we have to understand what you is. Who you is, and, and I'm using bad grammar there for a reason, not just because of my Perryville High School education. <laughs> you see, there's more to you than what meets the eye. As a matter of fact, what you see and what you hear and what you feel isn't really you at all, not according to the Bible. Take a look at 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Apostle Paul here is saying, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. See the three parts there? Spirit, soul, body. Those are the three parts of our existence here on earth. Now if you were to look into the Greek language that this was originally written in, you would see that spirit is the word pneuma. Same word there that's used for Holy Spirit, it's pneuma. That's the invisible, eternal part of you. We all have a spirit. Your soul is your psyche. You've heard that word before, right? Your psyche. It's what you think with. It's what you communicate with. It's what you fear and overanalyze and get insecure with sometimes. It's part God-given design, part fallen world, part nature, part nurture. And then your body is the most obvious. In Greek, it's soma, which is your flesh. This is your physical organs. It's even your physical brain. Well, the Apostle Paul said to the Colossians in Colossians 3.3 that your real life is hidden with Christ in God. That means unified with God. Like right now as you sit here, as a believer, you are hidden with Christ, unified with Christ. But what part of you is? He says your real life. Is your body hidden with God in Christ right now? I mean, unless you've bought into some conspiracy theories that says you're not really here, you are here. If you aren't, we've got bigger problems. Somebody called the Ghostbusters. Okay, so your body is not hidden with God in Christ right now. That's not the real you. Your psyche, your attitudes and your thoughts, are those all hidden with God in Christ? I mean, if there can be like anything like mine sometimes, that's a big no. We're still working those things out, right? Obviously, it's your spirit. Paul's talking about your spirit. Your real life is your spirit. Your spirit is the you that lives on forever. It's already an eternal being. It is gonna live somewhere for eternity. Okay, that part of you doesn't die. You see, your body houses your spirit here on earth. It's what protects your spirit here on earth. Your psyche is what your spirit uses to communicate with yourself and with other people. But all of that dies and decays someday. Your flesh and everything about it dies into decays someday, goes into the ground, and your spirit rises up. The apostle Paul called it like what happens to a seed. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42, he says, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground like a seed. They get crushed. That outer shell disintegrates into the ground and out pops new life, out sprouts new life. A spiritual life 
comes out of you and arises and goes to heaven with you. He said it there in verse 44. He said, we're buried as natural human bodies, but we will be raised as spiritual bodies. So again, your flesh dies, your spirit continues on. So right, right here, for now understand that you are not your symptoms, you are not your thoughts, you are not your feelings, you are not anything to do with your flesh. The real you is hidden with God in Christ, it's your spirit. Jesus said what is born of flesh is flesh. What is born of spirit, which happens when you put your faith in him, what is born of spirit is spirit. The Apostle Paul put it in a verse that you all know, 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Everything old has gone. It says the old life has gone. A new life has begun. Now that's a great verse. I teach from it a lot. We love to quote it. But a lot of people get hung up on this, and I certainly did for many years, because I equated this new life to everything to do with this stuff. And so I thought that if you're a real Christian, if you have real faith, then everything of your flesh is just going to get perfect and perfect and perfect and perfect and perfect. And if not, then uh-oh, what does that mean about you? Maybe it doesn't mean you're, you're really a Christian at all. Now, let me say this right up front here so nobody misunderstands. Of course, God cares about our flesh, and God heals us, and God delivers us, and especially in a church like this, you guys have seen that happen. You've seen that happen upon someone's salvation. You've seen that happen long after somebody's salvation. God really touches the flesh, and he heals us, and he delivers us of some very tangible stuff. But if we can get real here, I don't care if your foot grew out. I don't care if you sprouted a new finger. I don't care if some creative miracle happened and a whole new eardrum was created in you. And I've seen things like that. That stuff does happen. But still, however you were fixed or healed in the flesh does not mean that everything about you is perfect. Right? Because I can guarantee you, most of your memories were not erased the moment you said yes to Jesus. A lot of your personality, if all of it, didn't change. Your hair color probably didn't change, at least not by God. Maybe by you or age. Eye color definitely didn't change. I would sure like my height to have changed, but I have stayed 5'7 for a long time. Okay? So a lot of our flesh does not change. But until I realized that, I had a lot of fear and a lot of insecurity, like I said, about, well, what does this mean about me if everything isn't getting perfect? If everything isn't getting fixed? If all these symptoms and all these whatevers aren't getting fixed, what does that mean about me? What does that mean about my relationship with God? Until I realized this new life that Paul is talking about here has to deal with the real you, which is your spirit. It doesn't have to deal entirely with your flesh. And let me say this too. When we're talking about being made right and being made new, this is talking about a real and actual change. This isn't just talking about God seeing and deciding you as new, as if he's looking at you through Jesus goggles. Or as, he, as if he's just put a Jesus suit over you and the real stinky, ugly, horrible you is still under there 
somewhere that you have to keep real contained so it doesn't accidentally slip out at some point. There's no slipping out of being hidden in Christ. You're unified with him. When you're unified with him, there's no end to where he begins and where you end and all of that. It just, it just can't happen. It's like if you were to pour tea into water, you cannot separate the two together. It's a real and actual change. Paul calls it throughout the New Testament a transformation, which the word there is metamorphosis. Think caterpillar to butterfly. A caterpillar does not go into the cocoon and put on a butterfly suit. It is a real butterfly. It really changes. And the Bible says that when you placed your faith in Jesus, at that moment that your sin nature was actually cut out of you and you were given the nature and the heart of God. I've said it a lot. I've written about it a lot, but that theological word there for the old becoming new is called regeneration. The first six letters of that word spell regene. You had a whole new spiritual DNA change, not just looking right, but you were actually made new and made right and made whole and made holy in Jesus. So let me take you through a few verses here so you don't just think that I'm making this up or taking one scripture out of context or building a whole doctrine out of one or two verses here. Like this is the entire theme of the gospel. Like this is the gospel here. In Acts 13, Paul is preaching to Jewish people in Antioch and he tells them we're here to bring you the good news. Same word for gospel, that's what it means, good news. You know that. And in verse 39, he spells out what that good news is. Look at this. Everyone who believes in Jesus is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could never do. Something no Ten Commandments, something no rule keeping could ever do. Uh-oh. Spirit does it. He said it again to the Romans. That verse that I mentioned a little earlier, Romans 3.22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. He said it again in verse 25, people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. He said it again in verse 28. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. I think he's trying to tell us that it's all about Jesus. Amen? Made right. As I said, not looks right. Made right. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I mentioned this verse already, but it's worth repeating here. For God made Christ and never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Like I said, I mean, in just about every one of his letters all throughout the New Testament, this is the theme. This is the good news. It's a real radical change, not a symbolic change. You really were made right. And here's what the real right you looks like in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11. I love this verse. Look what Paul says here. You are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And if I can throw you some red meat here, just go a little bit deeper here. You're not going to see this in your English versions. Some versions, I just quoted from the King James there, it says you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified. Other versions will say you were. 
And the reason for that change is because in Greek, they have a kind of a verb that we don't have in English, and it's called an errorist verb. And what that is, is it means something that happened in the past that continues in the present and remains true for the future. It's past, present, future. So what Paul's saying there, with your belief and by the Spirit of our God, you were washed in the past, you are still washed in the present, you will always be washed in the future. You were sanctified in the past, you will always be sanctified. There's no progressive sanctification type of thing. It was done with your belief. He's saying you were justified in the past, you are still justified now, you will always be justified in the future. Past, present, future, a trinity of cleansing. Come on, that's good news. All happened upon your faith in Christ. Now somebody said to me, somebody came up and had some questions about that earlier this year and they said, so does this mean that you are no longer pursuing cleansing? And I said, no, no I'm not. Because God does not need to still purify me through my performance. He is not still asking me to prove myself by going through a bunch of trials and tribulations. He is not still refining me with fire. But the moment that I believed in Christ, I was made new, I was made right, I was washed, I was sanctified, I was justified. I am seated in Christ in heavenly places. I am a whole bunch of good things that are all the product of God's grace, not my grit or my grind. There's nothing wrong with me and it's all the same for you, Christian. There's nothing wrong with you. But what about those thoughts? What about those dreams? What about those attitudes and those actions? Well, you need to know that they might be in you, they might be on you, they might be around you, they might influence you, but they are not you. I mean, I, I just can't say this enough. Revelation for you. All of that stuff dies in decay someday. I mean, all of this stuff in this flesh, it goes to the ground and it disintegrates. It does not go to heaven with you. Those sicknesses, those struggles, those vices, those things, they do not go to heaven with you. That all dies and your spirit is raised up and it is with God. I mean, the Bible says that you get a new body in heaven. So all of this stuff, you get rid of all of this junk. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't care about that stuff. I'm not saying just throw caution to the wind. That's not the message here. God cares about the stuff of your flesh and your, your life here on earth because he doesn't want anything to get in, in between his best for you. He doesn't want anything to get in between your love for him or treating yourself right or your love for other people and treating other people right. So God is working on your attitudes and your actions and all of those things, but he's doing it in his time and in his way, not in yours. Hear me. I'm glad I got this at 30-some years old. Many people don't get this for a lot longer, but it's okay. Whatever age you are, just get it here. Is you cannot wait until everything is fixed and perfect in your life to consider yourself okay. That's the 
root of a lot of the messages that I get is people are judging their spiritual condition by the condition of their flesh or the condition of their psyche. And I'm telling you that it's the wrong measuring stick. I'm telling you that's, that's the measuring stick of the devil. That's what the devil wants and that's what the devil does. I write about it in my book, Shut Up Devil, how his name means slanderer. Devil in Greek, diabolos, means slanderer. You know what slander means? It's the act of making a false statement in order to destroy somebody's reputation. You have a reputation called in Christ. Called made new, made right. All of those things I've been rattling off. And the enemy brings all the stuff of the flesh, all the stuff of the mind, all the things in life to try to define you and tell you who you are and who you aren't, what you have and what you don't have. All to make you insecure and fearful and doubtful believing that you aren't safe. And that just drives a whole bunch of stupid stuff in our lives. Listen, God does not base your rightness on the condition of your flesh. He bases your rightness on your belief in Jesus. The condition of Jesus, who is perfect, who is pure, who is whole. You know, the one who wrote this so much, the Apostle Paul, who as you've seen time and time again, says you're made right, says you're made new, says you're made whole. You know, when you get to 2 Corinthians 12, he talks about weaknesses, plural, more than one. A few verses later, you, he goes through something you've probably heard before called a thorn in the flesh. And scholars don't know exactly what that was. It could have been a religious leader who was kind of following him around, antagonizing him, or multiple of them, probably. I'd imagine he had that at that time. It could have been a symptom, it could have been a mother-in-law, except Paul didn't have a mother-in-law, but maybe for you, that might be the case. Could have been a bunch of things, but we know it wasn't from God. Paul said it was a messenger of Satan, meant to torment him. But we also know that Paul prayed many times for it to be taken away, and God didn't take it away. But despite the condition of his flesh, despite his weaknesses, despite this thorn, whatever it was, Paul never changed his theology that he was still complete in Christ. And we know this because five to seven years later, after he wrote that to the Corinthians, he writes to the Colossians. And the Colossians had a lot of stuff going on, a lot of junk. That probably would make a lot of us blush today, believe it or not. And these Colossian Christians were being kind of accused by the local religious leaders in the local synagogue and being told at least that there was more that they had to do than their belief in Jesus in order to please God. They were trying to get them back into laws like circumcision and laws like food laws and things like that. And Paul comes and he says, stop believing all of that high sounding nonsense. His words, not mine. And in Colossians 2.10, he says, you are also complete through your union with Christ, meaning lacking nothing, meaning made whole, meaning there is nothing more that you have to do, nothing more, no more flesh fixing, no more whatever in order to please God. You can't get any more pleasing God than complete in Christ is what he's saying there. So do you see, to Paul, completion and being okay had nothing to do with the flesh. It once again had everything to do with the real you, your spirit, your faith in Christ. 
couple years after that, he wrote to his missionary partner, his protege, Timothy. And he tells Timothy to drink a little wine as medicine for your stomach. Timothy had stomach ulcers that didn't seem to go away. And yes, Paul gives him good advice on what to do for healing and what to do for those physical things. But none of his good advice changed the good news that Paul was already good, that Timothy was already good and complete and cleansed despite the things and the symptoms that might have been going on inside of his body. Now, like I said, God desires to heal, yes. Certainly the apostle John, he said that, or he prayed that we would be as healthy in our bodies as we are already healthy in our spirits. So there is a lot of good advice in scripture related to healing and health, yes, but none of it changes the good news. You see, God desires healing, yes, but he doesn't require it. And I have to say that these days because some of the messages that I get come from people that are just battling sicknesses and symptoms and some sort of religious something has taught them over the years that it has to do with them. That it's not enough faith, right? That, oh, they've upset God and he's getting them back and there's, he's mad at them and he's just selected them to suffer and is afflicting them with all of this stuff because it's something that they don't have enough of. It's almost like this, a, a law of be healed. Yes, God desires it, but he doesn't require it when it comes to your completion. You're pleasing him. You're being good with him. But what about those dreams? What about those thoughts? So many people will email in and they will ask me, what more do I have to do? I don't want these things. I do these things, but I, I don't want to do these things. And a lot of them have been on fast after fast after fast, or they have spent hours in a prayer closet, or they've been through five deliverance books already and they're wondering if I could recommend another self-deliverance book that might do the trick. I mean, they're wondering how many spiritual jumping jacks do I need to do to finally get rid of these bad things in my head? And of course, they're wondering, maybe I'm not even really a Christian. Otherwise, I wouldn't have all this stuff. And I say, first, the fact that you realize that you don't want these things Tell me that you had a new nature. Tell me that you have a new nature and you received that new heart that God promised upon your salvation. You know, your flesh is gonna do things. Your flesh is gonna fail at times. Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, okay? So God understands that. Your flesh is gonna fail sometimes. And the apostle Paul talked about a constant renewing of your mind. So your mind is gonna have some unrenewed times at moments. It's gonna think some things. It's gonna dream some things. That you're going to at times wonder, where is this coming from and what does this mean about me? But I'm telling you that the, the existence of these things aren't really the issue. The issue is, are you believing them and what are you doing with them? Are you allowing them to tell you who you are and who you aren't? That's the real issue. Are you believing them or not? They aren't the real you. We are... Fallen humans living in a fallen world. Imperfect beings in an imperfect environment. 
So even if you get one thing fixed in your flesh, I guarantee you, you're going to find another thing that needs to be fixed and another thing that needs to be fixed and another thing that needs to be fixed and you are going to be chasing your tail until you get to heaven exhausted, finally realizing that you were good with God all along because of Christ. That you didn't have to go through all of these spiritual jumping jacks in order to prove yourself or purify yourself to God that Jesus did it once and for all. So what do you do? What do you do about these things, though, that we don't want to have? Well, rather than you going and chasing this fix and applying that principle and doing this discipline and just wearing yourself out, it'd be better, God says in his word, that it would be better for you just to believe right. Get your beliefs right. Because as your thoughts go, so goes your flesh, really. As your mind gets renewed to the truth, the rest of you starts to get transformed from the inside out. So as I've been saying, things start to work themselves out over time with a whole lot of little effort. I mean, this is really the answer all throughout the New Testament when it comes to addressing things like that. If you pay attention as you read through the letters, you're going to see that Paul and the other New Testament writers were writing largely to two groups of people when it came to dealing with the flesh stuff. Jewish people and Gentiles, right? And so the Jewish people, as you can imagine, they had lived lifetimes of law up to the point of Jesus, where everything about who they were was based upon how good they kept the rules, how good they kept the commandments, and how much they sacrificed. And so, you read the book of Hebrews and you really see where when it came to holy days and all these Jewish festivals, you've got a little group of Jesus followers, Jewish Jesus followers, and you have a bunch of unbelieving Jewish people around that are still keeping the festivals. So when all of that stuff came up year after year after year, they were tempted to go back into that stuff because that's what everybody else was doing. So Paul is constantly writing them to Avoid the sin of disbelief by getting back into all of those disciplines and all of those rituals and all of that striving and sacrificing stuff. He's constantly encouraging them to keep their belief in Christ that Jesus fulfilled the law. And so he says to the Galatians that the commandments written in stone are a ministry of death. He says to the Corinthians that law and power sin. They had believed for years that following all this stuff is what strengthens them and keeps them right with God. And because of Jesus, he's saying, no, actually all of that stuff just exposes the weakness of the flesh. It says that you cannot do it on their own. It's meant to show you your need for Jesus. And to that point, it's done. And then you've got the Gentiles, as I said. And they're coming from God knows what, literally God knows what, and doing God knows what to try to stop some of this stuff. So the Colossians, who he had just said that you are complete with God through Christ, well, they are dealing with a lot of fleshly stuff. You know, they had a culture that was very sexualized, a lot more than ours in many ways. They did things for rituals and to appease certain gods, and that stuff just didn't all change overnight with their belief. So they're trying, how do we crucify this stuff in us? And they're going back to all of these kind of contemporary self-help rituals. One of them was called aestheticism. It was basically this belief that you've got to separate yourself from the things of the world 
from the things of drinking and the things of certain foods and the, you know, all of this stuff. Separate yourself from anything that might provoke any kind of lust or feeling in you. So look what Paul says to the Colossians here in Colossians 20 about this. Colossians 2.20. He says, why do you keep following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. They are a form of godliness without the power is what he's saying. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. No help. To Paul, it didn't matter whether it was a Jewish law or a Ten Commandment or some sort of contemporary self-help principle. No help. So what worked? What did help? What does help? The gospel. Believing right. Right believing is what leads to right behaving. What leads to right living. This is the answer all throughout the New Testament. Apostle John, he said, we don't grow in holiness because we've forgotten our cleansing. So, Remember your cleansing. Simple as that. Remember who you are. Paul said in just about every one of his letters, he says, clothe yourself in Christ. When he was talking to the Ephesians about dealing with lust, lies, and anger, he says, put on Christ. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly right and truly holy. Put on is a Greek word in duo. It's what we get the word endowment from. It's not any kind of behavior modification. It means to simply identify with your new identity. You have received something that is not your own, but you get to accept it as your own, and it becomes who you are. 1 John 4, 17, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Come on, believer, hear that for yourself. So are we in this world. So are you in the next world. So are you, period. When it comes to the real you, all is well. You are good. God is good and you are good with God. You are made new, made right, made whole, made holy, clean, and complete. Believer, hear this. Look at yourself. You are God's handiwork. You are God's work. And get this, God doesn't question his own work. Doesn't need to question his own work. And neither do you. As I said, right believing and who you are, what you have in Christ, leads to the right behaving and all the fleshly stuff happening and working itself out over time, leads to right living. Therein, the gospel message, therein is your strength and empowerment, therein is your peace, therein is your safety. Perfect love casts out all fear. Come on, is God good or what? Let's give God praise this morning. Amen. Does this help anybody this morning? Good. Praise God. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for who you are. We believe that you are good. Even though circumstances in life might not be good, we know that you are good. And because of Jesus, Lord, we praise you that you have made us good. 
Father, help us to keep our minds renewed, not to all the ways of the world, but to the simple truth of what you've done for us, that there's nothing more to do, but we just need to rest in what was done. We thank you for all the strength and empowerment that will come from that, the transformation that comes from that. In Jesus' name, amen. I often say here in this ministry that God has given me that I'm not trying to build a castle. I'm trying to help people win their battles. And so I just thank you, church, for your faithful support every month. You guys support the ministry every month, and you're helping do that. And I'm grateful for that. And another thing, of course, is the resources that we produce. I brought some of them up. A lot of you have them, I know, already. But my most recent book, The Shut Up Devil Book, it's out there. This one goes through those lies that are at the root of a lot of our wrong beliefs, 10 lies. And I take strategic truth to each one of those lies in a way that really renews your mind so that you actually believe what I'm teaching you through it. So it's silencing the 10 lies behind every battle you face. Our journal here is a 30-day journal. It's called Think on These Things. I really developed this to where every day it focuses you on a grace-based truth and then takes you through some prompts to journal out to really help you put on that truth, to really identify with your new identity. So that within 30 days, without any kind of extra discipline and effort, your mind gets renewed and things just start to work out from there. And then our most recent thing here, which I think is about the best truth that you can actually physically put on, and this is our t-shirt, which just says, fully known and fully loved. You know, it says Ephesians 1-4 down there at the bottom. That says, before God made the world, he loved us and chose us in Christ. Knowing everything about you before he made you or anybody else, he knew all about you. Nothing surprised him about you, yet he decided to fully love you and choose you. He proved it on the cross, and there's nothing you can do to change that. You are fully known and fully loved, and this is just a fun way to share that truth and put it on yourself. So your support of these resources help us in continuing our mission as well. So consider that. I'd love to sign a book for you or just at least say hello to you out at the table where I'll be. And just last thing here before I step off. Because I know the enemy will come against a message like this and try to pick the seed out from the soil before it can really take root. And one of the things that I hear so often, especially after a positive message like this, is the enemy will put in your mind, oh, that's just a feel-good message. You need more grit. You need more grind. You need more crucifixion. There's more you have to do that's just a feel-good message. You know, the gospel, as I said, the word for it is good news, and there's no bad news in the good news. Good news ought to feel good. As a matter of fact, the word is actually news nearly too good to be true. When Jewish people live lifetimes of law, Jesus coming to tell them that I've finished all this sacrifice that you have to do through my sacrifice. That was news nearly too good to be true for them. It was a stumbling block for them. But that's what it is. It's still the same for us today. So that ought to feel good. I mean, this isn't a message about the American dream. This isn't a message about God making all your dreams come true anyway. This is a message about something far better, about you being made new, made right, made whole, made holy, about how Christ writes you despite you. That ought to feel good. Don't let the devil minimize that in your life. Amen?
All right. Thank you once again, friends and family. It's always a pleasure to be with you. I'll see you out there. God bless. How many times have I said the most important thing you can do is know who you are in Christ? Where's that? It's funny, this time, Kyle coming, it's like the Holy Spirit said, do not call him, do not talk to him, and I did not until this morning. And he preached just exactly what we've been preaching around here forever. God's good. It's a very hard to grasp if you've lived, lived under, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do. And also for those that, well, they're not doing, they're not doing, they're not doing, so we judge them. What about the grace for them, just like the grace for you before you got where you were at, no matter when you started getting where you were at? God is so good, folks, I'm telling you. Is there effort in it? Yeah, just renewing this right here with the truth. That's the effort I have. I'm, I, I, I got to know who I am in Christ. I have the fullness of Christ. I don't want to have part of it. And that's what he's been saying this whole time. So good. Let's, let's give. If you're writing checks, write them to Grace Church. He'll get everything that comes in. I'll give you a moment. We'll pass the buckets around. Guys, if you want to come on up and get praise and worship, we'll go out with a song. Go out with a, a blessing is what we're going to go out with. It's so good. We got a, We forgot to announce, and I forgot. Thank you, Doc. We've got a deacon's meeting right after this back in the Bible. I never can remember that lion place. It's where the lion's at. The lion's den, that's what we should rename it. That's right. Yeah, God is good. God is good. If you all want to get the buckets out, Father, we thank you. Thank you that what we're going to plant here is going to grow and we can see in, in the fruit that's coming out of this man's life. We thank you that he's, he's touching lives all over the world right now. And we thank you that we're a part of that by what we give. Keep him going. Pay his finances to keep him going from day to day. We thank you that we're a part of what's taking place, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.
Are you blessed? You are dismissed. Done. Gone. Deacon's meeting real quick so you can get back.